Podcast. Hey everyone, it's Amber Love from Vodka Clock Podcast and AmberUnmasked.com. Don't forget, we are labeled as an explicit website and podcast, and uh, we are, of course, available on iTunes and Stitcher and at the website AmberUnmasked.com. So be sure to always leave some feedback. That'd be swell. Joining me today is my first time welcoming Fabian Ranel Jr. to Vodka O'Clock. Welcome to the show. <laughs> did I get it right? Cool. <laughs> yeah, you did. You did a really good job. In <laughs> fact, you sound very professional right now. <laughs> like oh, everything yeah. you're saying, I'm just like. <laughs> cool, cool. We ran into each other for like two minutes at New York Comic Con, and I think that was pretty much like the only time I saw you. Um, that's the most anybody ever sees me. <laughs> I'm like uh, I'm like Bigfoot. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, so that's good. So that's why you write about uh, you know paranormal because uh, you're one of them. <laughs> yeah, I don't actually exist. <laughs> Um, yeah, I was there at the uh, the two one five Inc. booth, hanging out with everybody. Those uh, those Perkins brothers is, and uh, you stopped by, yeah, and signed fun. signed a book for me, which was great. Yeah. And so, yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. That was a crazy show. Are you going back this year? Uh, no. Um, I usually like the whole time I've been doing the comic book thing. I uh, can only really make it to one. Out of state con a year, uh-huh. and uh, you know that year it was New York, and uh, this year I did a Heroes Con. Oh, cool! That's in, uh, kind of what I, yeah, that's what and, I'm gonna be doing is moving around more. So, but yeah, uh, but yeah, next year I'm going to be doing a lot more, um, a lot more out of state cons. I'm, I'm I'm looking at maybe like four next year. So, and I've already got like uh, two set up. So. That's cool. That's very cool. Where are you based out of? Uh, Corpus Christi, Texas. It's like about three hours south of Austin. Oh, all right. So you're certainly not uh, not even remotely close to here in uh, the East Coast. Oh yeah, no. Where are you? Where are you at? Uh, I'm in New Jersey. Oh, okay, that's cool. Um, do you do you listen to like the Gaslight Anthem? Do you know who they are? No, I have no idea. Really? <laughs> I'm kind of like out of touch. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I just, that's one of the bands I think of when I think of New Jersey. I guess I should have said like, I don't know, like Bruce Springsteen or something. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty much not into like a lot of the the homegrown Jersey music, like Springsteen and Bon Jovi and stuff like that. I never really got into any of them. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> But some Motown like type stuff came out of here, you know, and that stuff. Really? The oldie stuff I kind of dig. That, yeah, no, that's cool. Um, but, no, it's so funny. When people talk about music nowadays, I'm just like, I don't know who that is. You're just pulling words out of the dictionary. I don't <laughs> You're making it up. You could literally, you could, you could flip to the dictionary, do three random pages, pick three words, put them together, and have a rock band name. Yeah. The, and it exists. Yeah, there was a band um, that I used to like a lot. Um, called Small Brown Bike, and I would tell people about that band, and they'd be like, "You're just making that shit up." <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> like, let's see, like Stone Temple Pilots, Third Eye Blind. Um, <laughs> what was Sisters of the Something um, Age? My S- Sisters of a Down. <laughs> so maybe something like that. I don't know. And I'm just, and I'm just like, what are you people talking about? I'm like. <laughs> Yeah, music uh, kind of was like, 
control or like ruled my life pretty much like from when I was like 15 all the way to about uh, 29. <laughs> like all through my 20s, I like played in bands and, uh, you know, went on tour and just like music was like everything. But, um, yeah, comics kind of took over about uh, four years ago, something like that. Yeah, music was really important to me in college because I was DJing at the college station and stuff, but it wasn't like anything that I, I wasn't that passionate about it. I just, because I was on the air, I got to know some of the music, but I was more interested in talk radio. I was, was, you know, and had to figure out how to, how to do that and how to get into that. And nobody likes to hear talk radio on a college station. (laughs) And so now there's podcasting. Yeah, yeah. I think you're just like the head of the curve. That's what I mean. That's absolutely I mean, like, right. I'm going to take full credit. <laughs> I mean, we were we were on reel to reels and stuff back then. We were, you know, this was a long time ago. So the the idea that any young people like talk any kind of talk radio was bizarre. It was always, you know, it was always like local politics or something, and I didn't care about that. I wanted to talk to people. I wanted to talk about entertainment. Yeah, yeah. The, the stuff that matters. <laughs> yeah, that's the stuff I care about. So that's why. That's why you're here today. You, you know, it was uh, really awesome that you. You know, you gave me a heads up that you had the new series out, and uh, and I was like, oh, okay. You know, cause, uh, so, like sometimes I just I, like I, I'm like I don't even know what to expect. I've never heard anything about this book. What do I do? And I I looked at it and I looked at Ryan Ryan Cody is, is the artist on it. And I'm just like, this is magnificent. So, <laughs> So what we're going to be talking about mostly today is Doc Unknown. Um, we'll talk about whatever you want. If you've got other projects you want to talk about, yeah, give a shout out. I want to talk about coming to America with Eddie Murphy. <laughs> that was a good one. Let's go to Queens. <laughs> no, I just um, I'm just looking at my desk right now, and I um, I have that movie right here. Um, <laughs> right. I made I made this list of like all my like really like like favorite movies. And I had like a comedy section. I get bored at work and I just make lists. And, uh, so I made this list of like my favorite comedies and I didn't own Coming to America. Like I owned like all the other movies, but Coming to America was on that list and I was like, well, I don't even own that movie. So I went and like ordered a bunch of movies on like eBay the other day just so I could have like all the movies that are on my favorite movies list. <laughs> That's cool. So yeah, some of, some of my favorite movies are, um, they're played so often now on on cable, and even though it, yeah. even though it'll be like you know with commercials and everything, I don't care. Um, that I'm not so worried if I don't yeah. have the DVDs. Um, yeah, but <laughs> but it's going. Cool. I'm you know once in a while I'll actually watch a movie on Netflix, but I usually use Netflix for TV shows. I'm just I'm yeah, like, yeah, us too. Yeah, so I'm always, like, behind what everybody else is watching because I like to marathon those things. <laughs> You're like, shut up. Yeah. I'm going to hear it. <laughs> so, but Doc Unknown is very pulpy and vintage feeling, and um, it's so fun because it's the the four issues that, that are out. Each issue has a story, but throughout it is a, a bigger arc. Um, you know, and it's very, you know, very mysterious and some supernatural stuff. Um, and like, there's a, there's a lot of things that I could, you know, that are, that are modern that we could tell, you know, 
talk about that it feels like, um, you know, like Night at the Museum was like what your first issue was like, and, and everything had <laughs> had its own little premise to it. Uh, and it reminded me, but it did remind me of like such cool old stuff, like the Green Hornet, and um, even some like some of the really good Batman from the animated series. Yeah, some, like some of those stories with like Killer Croc and everything, how they were so pulpy. Um, yeah, you know. So, you know, what was where? Where did the origin for you start with Doc Unknown? Um, well, pretty much like like I had mentioned earlier. Um, I usually only do one out of state con a year. Um, you know, that's because most of my like uh, extra money goes to making comics, and so um, you know, I've been making comics for about three years now, and. Uh, I've been spending a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, and so uh, around this time last year, uh, I was like, you know, I really want to try and do more out-of-state cons in, in um, 2014. I, like, plan out everything, like, pretty uh, far in advance. And so I was like, I'll just, uh, just kind of, like, take a break from making new comics and do more out-of-state conventions, like, at least try and do, like, three or four um, in 2014. And so I'll kind of use the money that I usually use for making new comics on, like, plane tickets and, you know, hotel and stuff and uh, getting the tables and everything. And so, but I was like, you know, that's still not for, like, a whole other year. I was like, I could make, like, one more, like, miniseries of something new. And so I was like, okay, if I'm going to, like... And then, I, and then after, like, 2014, I was like, well... If I do all these out-of-state cons and I'm still not really, if I'm still on like the same level that I am now, um, I'll probably just go ahead and you know stop <laughs> with the whole comic book thing. And so um, I was like, if I was gonna make like one more comic and uh, and have that be like the last comic book that I ever made, um, what kind of book would I like kick myself for not doing? You know, like if it was like two years from now and I was like, oh, well, like. At least I made this, at least I made this book, you know? And so, um, I try to think of like, like my favorite things, um, like my favorite comics are like, uh, you know, like the whole Mignolaverse books, like Hellboy and BPRD. And, um, my favorite series of all time is Planetary. And so, um, and then I've been, I've been rewatching a lot of Batman the animated series at the time and I was just like, I want to do a book. <laughs> Yeah, it's just like, like that. Yeah, it's just like Planetary, uh, Hellboy, and BPRD, and Batman the Animated Series kind of like, but like my version of all that stuff. And so uh, that's where Duck Unknown came from. I'd kind of been um, looking at Ryan Cody's art. We had done like a short uh, five-page story together, and it was kind of, you know, similar in tone to Duck Unknown. And so I was like, I'm going to do a whole book like that. And, you know, I, I just stared at like Ryan Cody's deviant art gallery for like an hour one day and I was just like you know letting his art you know inspire me or whatever and I was like I'm gonna make I'm gonna make a book that's gonna be like the funnest comic this guy has ever drawn like I'm just gonna give him so many fun things to draw <laughs> and I really did write right. I, I wrote Dr. Known for Ryan like for his art oh such a beautiful team story <laughs> love it his art is spectacular it really it's you know it's great yeah, and he's he's like, man, he's been killing it like on this whole thing, like just turn getting these pages, you know, getting turned him turning in these pages has just been like fun. It's just been so much fun. Like every aspect of Doctor No is just like so fun. 
had like a like the most fun I've ever had making comics. Well, in in the story, uh, it's set in a town called Gate City, and yeah. there's a new mafia boss in town from the of the Malone crime family, and it's this big hulking character named Snake, and he's got this you know skin affliction and sort of uh, Im- impenetrable exterior skin and a rough physique and everything. So there have been a lot of characters like this. You know, you mentioned uh, Batman, and it reminded me yeah. of, like, the Rhino and Clayface, and Marvel has Killer Croc and Tombstone and the Thing. And um, yeah. So uh, why did you choose to to go with this elemental and nature quality instead of something, I don't know, like a just armored, like a- armored suit or something? Oh, uh, with, um, with Boss Snake, it was, like, a, I'd written another comic, um, I feel like I've been trying to write a lot of the stuff that's in Doc Unknown for a while. Like, a lot of stuff I did just, like, make up as I was making Doc Unknown, but there was, like, a few elements that I had put in other comics, um, and, but, like, for comics that, like, never went anywhere, like, for every comic that you see me actually finish, there's, like, three or four that, like, I write, like, a pitch, and maybe an artist will draw a few pages, and they don't really go anywhere, so they kind of just end up in the, in the, in, like, a folder. <laughs> of yeah, stuff I'm sure, I'm sure lots of writers have that. Yeah, and so, um, I had written this, um, I had written this comic where this, where there was this kind of, like, um, you know, this mafia or crime boss guy who had these two sergeants, or he was kind of like a demon, I guess, like a demon boss, and he had these two lieutenants or whatever, and one of them was like a like a bird guy, and the other one was a snake guy, and they didn't look like that, like they, they looked like they were human, um, but the snake guy, I think in the comic, was going to eventually turn into a snake somehow, <laughs> and uh, like a big snake, like a giant sure. snake, and... Uh, and so I was, like, you know, going over ideas for who could be, like, the main villain in Doctor No. Number 1. And I was like, oh, I'll do I'll do that snake guy. But instead of just having him be a human with snake um, overtones, I just said, you know, fuck it. <laughs> Let's make him, you know, like a, like a snake, a snake man, you know. And um, yeah. so that, that's, that's how that happened. He's kind of like, I kind of describe him as, like, Killer Croc meets uh, the kingpin, you know, but like a snake. <laughs> Yeah, that's that was, um that sort of you know there's a great uh, Im- you have a great embrace of like the mafia part of it, which was um, is really fun and of course necessary for these sorts of uh, pulp and vintage kind of stories, you know. And that's what those are the kind of things that I liked about Batman was uh, and the Green Hornet was that it was always such street level crime that they were dealing with. Yeah, by the time Doc Unknown is over, it kind of moves away from that a, a tad. But um, but yeah, I mean, I definitely wanted it to be, you know, I didn't want it to be like Doc Unknown has to save the world or Doc Unknown has to fight, you know, an invading alien army. Like I just wanted to keep it, you know, pretty simple. And you had mentioned earlier about each issue like kind of having its own story, right? But 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 also over telling like an overall story, an overall arc and. I really wanted to do that with the book as well. I, I wanted someone to be able to pick up, you know, if they accidentally picked up only number two or only number three, um, I still want them to feel like, you know, like like satisfied or whatever at the end of the story, even though three kind of ends on a cliffhanger. But <laughs> Right. Well, right. And some of the things that you do is you do take, uh, you take Doc Unknown from Gate City and we see these flashbacks through, uh, I'm thinking it was China, 
Um, <laughs> and then he, you know, he ends up traveling a bit and there's, there are these great tie-ins and it's, it is very similar to things like the Green Hornet who traveled uh, through Japan and Batman who went to Tibet. Um, yeah. so where, you, you know, was that, was that necessary for Doc to have, um, this more exotic backstory, um, as opposed to just, you know, a, a guy from, you know, Gate City? Yeah, um, yeah, I just, um, I wanted to try and have him go through as many, um, like, of those kind of tropes as far as, like, um, his secret, you know, origin. Like, I I, I wanted to see, like, a secret city somewhere. (laughs) It was very cool. I really, and, you know, like I said, the artwork really took you there. Yeah, like, you know, it was, it was, um, just a lot of fun. I just, I guess I just had, like, a, almost like a checklist, and it wasn't, like, an actual list. I didn't, like, make a list and go, okay, this is all the crazy stuff I want to put in this book. I just, I had, like, a mental checklist, and I was like, well, how am I going to get there? Like, how am I going to connect the dots? And one of the things I had had wanted to to write was, like, a, was, like, a Yeti, and so, um, (laughs) and an underground. Always good, just like Bigfoot, you know, always good. (laughs) Yeah, and I wanted to do, like, you know, like, an underground weird thing where, like, there was these, you know, uh, subterranean creatures and they were worshiping this weird statue and just stuff like, like, I don't know, there was just all this stuff I wanted to do and I couldn't, I felt like I couldn't do that, like, in his home, hometown and, um, there was this book that I read when I was like, it was probably one of the first books I ever read and one of the first books that I just, like, kept around when I was a kid and it, it had, I don't, it, I don't remember the name or anything, but it had, like, all the cool, like, weird, uh, mysteries that, you know, we all know about, like Loch Ness Monster and, uh, Bigfoot and aliens and, uh, <laughs> it had like a section about Roswell. It had a section about Stonehenge. Like it was just like, you know, all that really cool stuff that, you know, is crop, like crop circles and all the good yeah. urban legends. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just all that stuff. And, uh, man, I read that book like all the time, like, you know, cover to cover. And I was like, how many of that, how much of that stuff can I try and fit in this book? You know, like, <laughs> Like, so, yeah, I mean, I'm still, like, really into all that stuff, and, like, I, like, Ancient Aliens is kind of like a, um, like a, what do you call it, guilty pleasure of mine. <laughs> I'm, right, not, right. I'm not, like, believing any of it, I just... <laughs> but they're, <laughs> but they're, but they're interesting, they're certainly captivating, good for storytelling, and they've lasted all of these years, you know, some things like the Universal Monsters and all these supernatural elements and legends, so why, you know, it's... It's just fascinating to me, like, why do these stories end up enduring time? Yeah. I think it's because uh, people like to feel like that, that, that like what they're seeing isn't, like, the whole story, you know? And, um, and like, maybe there's more to it, you know? And, like, I mean, ever since I was a kid and found out about, like, dinosaurs, like, you know, that there was, like, this whole other species that used to, you know ruled the earth and they're not around anymore and I was just like that blew my mind as like a a kid you know and I was just like man like and we have the proof you know we have like their bones or whatever and then just reading that book and reading about you know all these like ancient civilizations that aren't around anymore like the Aztec and um you know just like I don't know I (laughs) I really like the idea that like what's going on right now isn't the way it always was and there's like a secret history you know and um so that's, and like, I guess that's where the unknown part of Doc Unknown comes from. It's like, I just want 
to write about stuff that you know isn't known. <laughs> I wonder. Yeah, what do you? I, I had read this really cool um, article a while ago. It was quite. It was like maybe twenty years ago or something, and it and it was going. It was saying that um, in the future, when archaeologists start digging up us. They're going. They're going to believe that there was a cult, a goddess cult of Barbie, and that <laughs> that Barbie was a goddess who was worshipped. Um, uh, you know, and it was just like this really amazing theory. And I was just like, yeah, because we do, you know, when when we see things that are dug up, then they go into the museums, and you know, <laughs> they determine was this a religious artifact or was this a toy or, you know, what did this what did this mean? And you know, the the female figures that were different shapes and sizes, and um, I was just like, yeah, cult of Barbie. There, I'll be I'm part of the cult of Barbie, absolutely. Oh, that's so sad. <laughs> so I wonder. I wonder if there will be a cult, a cult of Batman. Perhaps they'll be wondering, like all of these, all of these little god statues that they uncover. Yeah, there'll be Batmans and Green Lanterns and. <laughs> yeah, so like in that book that I was talking about, there was like you know they talked about how different um, cultures depicted dragons. You know, there's like oh yeah, really and, different. Yeah, and so you know. I guess in the book they're like, so you know, dragons must have been a real thing, or like, <laughs> why would they, why would they draw something that wasn't real? But <laughs> if people were like, well, Batman had to be like a real person. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, they're gonna say that. <laughs> um, you yeah. know, because vampires are the same way. I mean, the legends of vampires go back to these these roots, and every single uh, you know culture isolated from each other, whatever. They've all got their own sort of version and uh you know sometimes there's crossover and then there's then there's the bram stoker stuff that we have that that's what we know as vampire lore but really um you know it's, it's just amazing how these things crop up from from countries that had no way to communicate with each other and they have all these yeah. similarities yeah there's like a i think there's like a shared human you know conscience or whatever like yeah yeah, I mean, like, I, I could, I mean, that's all, all that weird kind of stuff, like, how, like, a human, like, you know, like, <laughs> I, I feel like I sound like an idiot talking about it, but whatever. <laughs> like, when people yeah, talk about, like, um, like a puzzle or something that, uh, you know, once someone figures it out, like, it's easier for the next person to figure it out. Right. Like, I yeah. kind of feel that's the way it is, or that's like, I don't know. <laughs> I but but I think there's truth to that. I think I think absolutely think there's truth to that. Like people, you know, believe that there was no way to beat a six minute mile, and once one person did it, everybody realized there was something to achieve and tried doing it. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, it's pretty cool to think that you know there's a part of our brain that is connected, like you know, invisibly or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I think the hacker community is probably like a great example of that. Oh yeah. Okay. You know, yeah. You put something up and and you say that this is uh, there's unhackable software and everything is protected and your information is never going to get out and it's like bam that's all I need to hear is a challenge <laughs> and they're all over the world and working on it. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, in uh, in Dhaka Unknown because you you get these uh, because you do have this very uh, pulp uh, theme going through the whole thing it's uh 
I also love that you threw in the 1940s language. So you've got the dialogue that's like, it's curtains for you. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I just figured, you know, I'd have to try and make it, you know, try and sell it, you know, that way, you know, try and have some dialogue that, that shows, you know, I mean, that, and that's one of the reasons I even wanted to set it in that time is because a lot of the, the way, uh, the way people will talk was just like fun, you know? And, yeah. uh, but then I've had people kind of be like, well, he toned it down in the second one. I wish he hadn't done that. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> it's like, okay, sorry. Yeah, you don't want it to be, yeah, you don't want it to be corny. You don't want to get to the really, really corny and, you know, overdone. Yeah, because, yeah, I mean, when I read books, like when I read comics from like that, that actual time period, you know, like the early Superman stuff and the early Batman stuff, and, uh, I mean, just in general, like Golden Age comics or whatever, like, a lot of them are, like, hard to read because <laughs> it's, like, it's almost too, you know, and, like, you can't really get, you can't blame them. I mean, that's, that's like, how that people were talking back then. But, like, I wouldn't want to do a book that was totally and completely, like, trying to be that because then I think it would just be hard to read. And so, you know, I, I think it's still, I think Doc Unknown still kind of feels like a modern book even though, you know, it isn't. Like, it takes place during World War Two or whatever. Yeah, and there's, you know, there's lots of guys doing this, and I love it because um, it's a, you know, there's sort of like a subculture in our subculture of the, of the <laughs> fandom. Uh, you know, like Athena Voltaire uh, by Steve Bryant is, has the same settings, and, uh, you know, she travels all over the world. Um, you know, we were all, you know, we all very well versed in Indiana Jones, and yeah. um, but like the Timoney brothers had their book out on Zuda through Zuda uh, called The Night Owls, and it reminded me of that too. Where I, uh, I haven't read those books you're mentioning, but um, I'd like to. <laughs> yeah, I will. I'll have to like give you a list of cool things, and of course, Green Hornet. Green Hornet's still being put out by Dynamite. Yeah. Um. So just super super fun stuff. Um. And I know that you've, when you put out Doc Unknown, because you've got the, it's a four-issue miniseries, so you decided to self-publish this, even though you have relationships with publishers. So I was wondering why you went that route in order to get the book done. Uh, I did pitch it to, like, you know, some publishers that you would probably expect me to pitch it to, or, like, expect someone to pitch stuff to, like, you know, like, Image and stuff. And, um, I mean, honestly, like, I just, I didn't really get, um, too much interest in it. <laughs> I can say that now and laugh. <laughs> well, I'm sorry to hear that because it's their loss in my, my personal opinion. Yeah. And like, the, I mean, I guess every creator, when they, you know, put out, when they think of a new comic and actually start working on a new comic, uh, you know, I'm pretty sure most of them are like, this is, this is the coolest thing I've ever done, you know, and like, you know, this is, a, I mean, you know, as far as I'm concerned, this is a home run. And so like, to have, you know, you know, to be getting these, like, rejection emails, like, was really, like, disheartening at the time. It was, like, earlier this year, around, like, maybe, like, uh, January or February when the first issue was done, and, uh, you know, I sent it out to some publishers and, you know, was getting either, either not getting any feedback as far as, like, why they were, you know, just getting, like, a form rejection letter or just having people say stuff like, oh, well, it's too much like a superhero book, and, you know, and then I had someone, you know, say that it was too much like Hellboy, and I'm like, well, I had one publisher tell me it was too much like a superhero book, and another publisher tell me it was too much like Hellboy, and it's just like, to me, those are conflicting. Very conflicting, <laughs> yeah, not not even, no. So then after that, I kind of started taking what, what anybody would say as far as, like, a rejection 
uh, like with a grain of salt because I'm like it's it's something different to everybody, you know, and um, and so yeah, and like pretty much I just decided, you know, I mean it's sad to say, but like if your book isn't coming out with like Image or Dark Horse or Archaea um, or IDW, like it's almost invisible. Like I mean, like there's a lot of people that search for comics through smaller publishers and. You know, with the internet now, with Facebook and Twitter, it's it's a lot easier to find out about books being put out by smaller publishers. But um, like I I just kind of started looking at the numbers about um what I had, how many you know books I had sold on my own, and how many books I had, I had sold with like you know publishers and stuff, and it just didn't really seem like that much of a difference. And so I just figured, you know, I'm already doing this book just like out of the pure like passion of it, you know, like that I just want to do this one last, like, really fun book, and I just figured it'd be best just to go ahead and do it myself and have, you know, complete control over when it comes out, um, how many issues get printed, and just, just I don't know, I just wanted to have total control, I guess. Okay. Published. All right. Um, because I know that, um, well, Comicsology has a submit thing now. Uh, yes. I don't and know how sales are with that because honestly it's when you when you call something submit to me it's very odd when I like go to their app or their website or whatever if I see a button that says submit I don't think that that's a place I'm going to shop I think that that's a place I'm going to send something right right. so it's but what it's the intention of it and what it's for is um, for people who are not tied to big publishers yeah. You, you can submit your independent comic, and if it gets approved, it will then be made available in their special section of indie yeah. comics. But, like I said, it's just very awkward that you're clicking submit to go shopping for these, <laughs> you know, for these indie books. Yeah. No, um, Comicsology Submit um, was really, like, um, like, it really solidified, like, okay, cool, we, I can do this on my own. Like, I can promote it on my own. And now with Comicsology Submit, it's like people that I wouldn't reach will be able to read the comic. And, um, you know, I've seen the first, like, report, because I think it, it, the first issue went up, like, in, like, in May. So it hadn't been that long. And so the first, uh, report, I just got, like, the first report, you know, maybe a few weeks ago or something, and saw, like, how many people were downloading it. And I was, like, really surprised. It was, it was really, it, it seems like it's doing really well on there. And, you know, uh, like from like other countries that I know I don't know anybody in those countries, <laughs> and so it's just it's really cool because it's actually I'm actually selling more on Comicsology Submit than I am of like actual print copies, so it's it's like a good it's like a good weapon to have in the arsenal, you know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, and and you you know you need that because um, just for the accessibility of it, there's the discovery of it, and also uh, you know one of the things that I've noticed is. People are mentioning Doc Unknown to you on Twitter. So these are, you know, people that are going to be more likely to be in tune with with something available digitally. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, and there's people, I mean, even after they start, you know, they they find out about Doc Unknown and they start, you know, following me on Twitter and we start having, like, interactions. And so in my head, I'm like, okay, cool, this person's probably going to buy the next print copy when I do another copy or do another uh, issue. But then they're still, like, I mean, some people do. But there are a lot of people that are just like, you know, they're strictly going to read it on Comixology, like, no matter what. And I'm fine with that. I mean, 
Yeah, I like trades, so I'm like really over the the indie independent uh, individual floppy issues. Yeah, I'm starting to kind of move move away towards that. I think if we are lucky enough to do a second volume of Doc Unknown, I'd really like to just do it straight to trade. And I know that um, this character that's in issue one, Boss Snake, that we talked about with the sneaky features. Um, (laughs) In one of your, you've got like a, not a letters, I guess you'd call it like a letters page. At the end, you, uh, it said something that you were working on a project about Boss Snake. So what, what can you tell us about that? Uh, Yeah, I, um, yeah, yeah, pretty much since like the beginning of, you know, since I, you know, did the first issue, I had a lot of fun writing Boss Snake and, there's a there's a page in there where uh, Doc Unknown kind of breaks down like his life story to him in like six panels. <laughs> He's like, you know, you were abandoned at an orphanage at three days old. Uh, you ran away at thirteen to a life of crime. He just kind of goes through his life and uh, like, you know, and then Boss Snake, you know, responds by telling him to shut up like angrily. <laughs> like I think it was offending to him that Doc Unknown could just like be like tell him his whole life story and like you know, a few sentences, and so I wanted, and like the page, uh, the page itself, you know, Ryan, man, he, and it was so awesome when he did that page, because he did like a, like an ink wash style. Yeah, it was a beautiful, like, flashback, dream sequence kind of thing. Yeah, and, uh, and like, he tinted it green, because, <laughs> you know, snake is green, and so like, uh, and like, ever since I saw that page, I just knew that I wanted to try and tell more of that story, like, I wanted to, I wanted to tell what happened between the panels and, uh, you know, how he got from, you know, panel one to panel two. And I don't know, I just, I couldn't let it go. And like, um, originally I was like, it'd be cool to do, cause I, I have been writing like short doc unknown stories that are just like, you know, outside of the continuity of this normal, of the, of the first miniseries, just stuff that happened before, or after, um, the events of this first miniseries. And, um, I had also, re- I had also like outlined like a five page boss snake story and kind of was like, yeah, one of these days I'm going to tell like a story, which is boss snake. And <laughs> do you hear my dog? Yeah, I heard him back there. <laughs> I, ke- I have to keep muting my microphone because of traffic. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, uh, <laughs> it's <not> funny. <laughs> but yeah, uh, so yeah, I just wanted to tell like a boss snake story. And the more I thought about it, the more details started to like emerge. And before I knew it, I was like, man, this is probably going to gonna have to be like a one shot and uh so yeah as it is right now boss snake the boss snake story that i've written is at uh 40 pages and uh yeah i decided that'd be a good way to test the kickstarter uh waters because you know since i've been doing comics i've had a lot of people just say like well if you don't like you know spending all this money it's not i don't like spending the money it's just like you know it's a lot of money <laughs> they're like well you we should try and do a kickstarter and i've just been really reluctant because I, I didn't i've never really felt i had much of like an audience or like um, I was just like, I don't know. I, I think I'm still kind of like an unknown at this point. Like I'm still small potatoes. <laughs> but that's, you know, that was the intention of Kickstarter. You yeah. Know, now, now that famous celebrities are using it, uh, you know, whatever. <laughs> I'm like one of those people that does have issue with it because I'm like, yeah. you already have money. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And yeah, and I, I can see. I mean, I, I did kind of feel like that way too. I was like, I thought it was supposed to be like for dudes like me or people that are, you know, like unheard of and can kind of help out, like, they have no other way of doing it, um, but yeah, so I just, I figured, you know, like I said, I had kind of got to the point where I was, like, burnt out on spending the amount of money I've been spending making comics, and, 
but I'm not burnt out on on writing new comics. I'm not burnt out on. <laughs> good, um, that's a good good motivation there. Yeah, so I was like, you know, going forward, I guess if I want to keep doing this, which I do, but I don't want to spend the money. You know, obviously I don't want to spend <laughs> this amount of money anymore. I just figured, you know, Kickstarter would be the way for me. To, that that would be the answer. You know, like it'd be really great to keep making new comics and just have. Uh, Kickstarter there as like a way for people to for me to, for me to get the money obviously but like more so for me to reach an audience that as of right now I haven't reached as a Kickstarter audience you know so I think I, I have high hopes I'm I'm kind of nervous still because I still feel like I'm not like this um you know recognizable person or whatever but like uh, with Doc Unknown I've I've kind of I feel like I've um, expanded my fan base and so I think you know now with us showing that we we can put out a comic every other month. Um, I think the momentum is like really high right now, and so um, that's why we're going to launch it. I think you know late next week or whatever because I want to just I want to see if it'll actually work. So we're trying to ask for like twenty five hundred because it's just like a one shot. Right. And you know if it is successful and how successful it is, like if we go over or whatever, um, then I'd like to do a second volume of Doc Unknown sometime next year through Kickstarter. I'd say that's a that's a really modest amount. Um, yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's great. I think I don't think you would have any problem reaching that. And you know, if it's enough to pay Ryan and to get you to to conventions to promote it, that's great. Yeah, and like, and you know, I I, I did want to set it kind of low or like relatively low. Like you see a lot of people go on Kickstarter asking for like anywhere between ten and twenty thousand dollars, and I mean, like, I, I really don't think I can get that amount right now. But um, I think if this one works out, and then I'm like on people's radar. Right. And, and, like, we actually... Because Ryan, Ryan will draw the Boss Snake one-shot, like, in a month, you know? Like, it, like I'm going to I'm gonna be telling people, like, you know, that they're going to get this book really soon. It's not going to be, like, one of those Kickstarters, because I've backed Kickstarters that I'm still waiting on, you know? <laughs> like, from, like, a year yeah. ago or whatever. And, like, there's sometimes there's circumstances where you're, like, especially anthologies, you know, they got a lot of, a lot of horses to rein in. <laughs> so, I noticed that, yeah, it does take a long time for some of them. Yeah, but um, but like this one won't take long, and so I think once we show people that, you know, we can deliver, and I, I think that'll give me the the confidence to ask for more money next time. You know, something closer to ten for like another Doc Unknown miniseries. And there's there's some stuff that's going to be happening uh, with Doc Unknown pretty soon that I can't announce yet, but I think we'll, uh, you know, get more eyes on the on the project and help us out if we want to do a second volume next year. That's good. I look forward to it because I was absolutely enamored by the four issues that I read. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so so you'll have a very loudmouth fan over here. <laughs> um, in, in your storytelling, I noticed that uh, like most of the pages are nice, uh, really big panels, like only four to five panels on a page. Is that something that you specifically aim for or is it just um is just un- unconsciously how it works out for you i think when i started writing comics um i had read that the average non-splash page consisted of like five to six panels and so um when i when when i did like extinct um i did try to stick to that and because that was like the first comic that i did and then but like since then i feel like i've kind of gotten to a point where i want to let the art tell most of the story like uh, as like a comic book fan I'm like way more into uh, like an artist who also does their own writing like you know like the earlier or like Hellboy you know 
like Mike Mignola, when it's all just Mike Mignola. I mean, like, he does BPRD and stuff, and that's different artists, and John Arcudi's helping him, or they're, he, John Arcudi's writing it or whatever, but, like, whenever, whenever it's just, like, Mike Mignola, like, you know, and, like, The Goon as well, there's, like, a lot of pages that are just, like, two panels, three panels, where you get to see more, I think, I feel like you get to see more art, you know? Yeah, like, you can be immersed into the scene. Yeah, yeah. And um, so, you know, like I said, I, I am, like, really stoked on, on Ryan's art. And so I I just wanted to, you know, so I guess, yeah, it was, like, a conscious thing. I'm like, okay, this this uh, page is going to be, you know, just four panels, three panels. <laughs> uh, there's there's going to be some splash pages, you know. A lot of people, I think, try and not do as many splash pages. And, like, and, and I, I feel like, I feel like um, I... I do a good job of like how and when to do splash pages, you know, but, um, but yeah, I definitely wanted to just, I just wanted to, you know, like you said, get immersed in the art or whatever. Now, what's the, um, the revision process like for, for you when, when you're all done and you think that your script is pretty finalized, uh, has, does the artist, in this case, Ryan Cody, does he see it? at any point before then to give you suggestions or does he make suggestions once you think you're pretty solid with how it is and then you, you know, consider reworking anything? Uh, up until like very, up until like very recently, I haven't really had any kind of uh, revision process. I usually just, I'll write the script and um, I'm like, okay, that's it. You know, and I send it to an, art, an artist and, you know that that's it. You know, okay. <laughs> pretty much. But um, I guess I've gotten um not really like paranoid, but like I've seen so many of my uh like writer friends talking about like you know editing and revision and just trying to like make the story tighter. And uh, so I've been I've actually asked um I don't know if you know uh, Ryan Lindsay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Ryan's been on the show. We, we oh. talked a lot about ponies, My Little Ponies. <laughs> yeah, uh, I've actually, I actually have him uh, editing the Boss Snake one shot right now, and so, um, and he's been like invaluable. Like, I really like working with him, and so, and actually, oh, my email, but, <laughs> but yeah, uh, so yeah, I think in going forward, I am gonna try and uh, tighten up, you know, not just let my first pass be what ends up getting drawn up. As far as like uh, Ryan's input, um, you know, there are a lot of times where he he'll send a page and he'll say, you know, I went ahead and switched up panels three and four, or I combined panels three and four, or you know, he's like, I I made I, I chose a different you know kind of angle on this one, or or he'll he'll mess with like a panel size because like in my scripts I'll be like, oh, this is a wide panel, this is small panel, you know, and so sometimes you know he'll he'll change that up like. And I totally trust him. You know, he's the artist, and he has, like, that more, like, visual style of thinking, you know. So, you know, he's, he knows what's going to look best on the page and stuff. So, yeah, there is some some revision on Ryan's part. Yeah, that's, that's cool. I think it's important to, you know, obviously have, have faith and trust in your artist because they, um, you know, you get somebody that's really solid. You picked him for a reason, you know, you... you modeled the whole script specifically for him so obviously there's a lot of faith and trust there yeah <laughs> um all the way i mean it's just yeah i've been really happy working with him that's why i don't like want dr known to be over <laughs> yeah that's, that's why i like 
uh, one day I just woke up and I was like, man, I like won't be happy if I don't do this boss snake story. Like, fuck it, let's try and do the let's try and do a Kickstarter for a boss snake one shot because like I just didn't want it to be over. Like I I was like and I was telling people like. You know, when he was drawing number four and he was getting towards the end of number four, I was like, man, there's like a time that's quickly approaching where I won't be getting new art pages from Ryan in my email, <laughs> in my inbox. And that's like, that bums me out. Like it depresses me. Oh. <laughs> so I was just like, I gotta, I gotta, we gotta keep it going. And so, like I said, I came up with the boss snake, the idea to do a boss snake one shot to try and, you know, test the waters and see if maybe we'll get, we'll get, because ideally, I'd like to do 12 issues of Doc Unknown and just have it three books. And, uh, you know, volume one, two, and three. And then, you know, like I said, I always plan out, like, when I'm just like, I mean, I'm a writer. I have, like, a imagination. <laughs> I spend a lot of my time just imagining things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I just imagine, like, a day where I can put, like, 12 issues of Doc Unknown in, like, this big hardcover book and just put it on my desk and just be like, yeah, cool. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Like, I made that. That's my masterpiece. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, as part of your dreams, do you dream about seeing it in any other media format? Like, do you dream of seeing an animated Doc Unknown or something? Oh, wow. Uh, not really. I mean, I hadn't thought of it, but, like, as soon as you said it, it sounded cool. That's not cool. <laughs> I, I, uh, I have seen, because like, uh, there's been a lot of artists that have, you know, I asked a lot of artist friends, like, man, it'd be really cool if you just did a Doc Unknown pinup, especially towards the beginning, because I just wanted to create as much awareness of Doc Unknown, like, and I figured if I just came out with, like, this, like, army of artists. I mean, I've had, like, 22 different art. I could fill up, like, a whole one-shot with just people that did uh, Doc Unknown pinups. And uh, I just wanted it to, like, because I figured their fans and friends would see it and be like, what is this? What is this character? I just wanted it to seem like Doc Unknown was, like, this thing as soon as it came out, you know? Like, this thing that was already that already existed. And so a couple of those guys, you know, they do have a more, like, animated style. And I was like, oh, this would be cool if it was like a Doc Unknown animated series. But, um, yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't see it happening. <laughs> just cause yeah. I, yeah, I just, I mean, I don't know. Like, I do kind of like have, you know, like these dreams, like, oh, it'd be cool if, um, you know, like, like I just mentioned, it'd be cool if I could do like a, like a 12 issue run of Doc Unknown and have it like be this big hardcore, hardcover thing. But, um, as far as like a cartoon, I mean, I, I don't think that could happen. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Never say never, though. Wouldn't it be great? We'll just, yeah, it'd, it'd be insane. Especially because, you know, Batman the Animated Series was such a influence. It was like, so good, yeah. And But, I mean, you know, even, like, Batman Beyond and, like, Kim Possible, you know, these, like, crazy villains and out on adventures. And, and, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> but, like, it's, you know, one of the voice actors from, from there, he was uh, he was Ron Stoppable, and he was also, I'm pretty sure he was the voice of uh, Terry in Batman Beyond, Will Friedel. Like, ah, he'd be, be a perfect Doc Unknown. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that would be, if I, I mean, I was just thinking the other day, if someone ever cosplayed as Doc Unknown, I would probably, like, shit my pants. <laughs> Isn't it great? I mean, and that it could happen. It could happen. I just, you know. Yeah, I feel like someone cosplaying as Doc Unknown is a lot more likely <laughs> than, you know, an animated series. But, I mean, I, I would love if there was an animated series. That'd be insane. Especially because, you know, I have, um. I have a son, he's almost two, he'll be two next week, and so, like, you know, maybe in a few years, if there was a Doc Unknown animated series, and he could watch it, and I could be like, you know, I, I wrote that, <laughs> or I created that guy, you know, like, it'd be really, it'd be really cool to show him that. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's just, it's one of those things that happens, or sometimes you just end up, uh, if it's not your 
you know, if it's not your character or something like that, maybe you get the chance to work on something else. Oh, like, yeah, absolutely. Like that and give you that same feeling. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, I, I would like to do that. I just don't, I just don't see it happen. <laughs> I'm like, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I think Dr. Known does lend itself to, you know, that kind of like, you know, like a cartoon and like toys. And so I could, I could see Dr. Known toys. But like, as far as like a movie, I don't think it would get turned into a movie at all because I we'd mean, have to kickstart this. Let's talk bigger <laughs> kickstarters now. <laughs> I mean, maybe if I, I guess maybe if I found an animation company to do like a thirty-minute episode, that'd be cool. Maybe that's something to think about for like, you know, the future or whatever. <laughs> yeah, it could happen. Hey, the Living Corpse had a, had a, you know animation movie done, which was you know it's one of those things where they're like they it was just somebody that they met, somebody who. Be, you know, liked the property enough that he's like, hey, I think I want to do this. Would you guys, you know, be okay with this? And boom. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's like it was a long process. They were waiting on it for a really long time, but now they have a DVD to show for it. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be that'd be amazing. I mean, we're still in, you know, Daco Known year one, you know? So, I yeah. mean, I guess no telling. <laughs> yeah, it's early. Yeah. <laughs> um, so when you're writing, do you have uh, a very specific method? Like, do you have uh, something playing in the background, or is it like you can only write during a certain time of day because you got family to de- you know deal with and balance and now all of this stuff? Like, do you is there a very specific process? Uh, yeah, I have to uh, I have to dress up like Dark Unknown. <laughs> <laughs> I like this. I have to channel. I have to channel the character. <laughs> No, uh, <laughs> yeah, I usually do most of my writing after I get off of work. I work at night, and so by the time I get home, it's like 11, and so I'll write for like, you know, a couple hours before I go to sleep, and by that time, everybody's asleep, and it's like, you know, the middle of the night, so it's like quiet. I like to, I can't write with music like some people do. Like, I tried it early on, like when I first started writing, I was like, oh, I'm going to turn on some music, but then what ended up happening was... um I started like air drumming and <laughs> <laughs> everything but writing. <laughs> yeah, I just started like air drumming and like getting into the music and I'd be like, Oh yeah, I haven't written a sentence in like, you know, a minute. So <laughs> so like uh I figured out that I had to just have complete silence and when I started writing Doctor Unknown, I was like I was like, you know, I maybe the problem because I heard a lot of my writer friends and even um artists talking about how they would uh they would work on comics to like soundtracks. Right. Like movie scores. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, well, let me, let me try that. And so, um, I'm, I'm part of this group called the Small Press Commandos. And, uh, you know, they, they are responsible for FUBAR. I'm pretty sure you've heard of. Yeah. Uh, FUBAR. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, I went on there and I was like, hey, what, what kind of like soundtracks do you guys listen to to make comics? I'm looking for like a pulp type thing because I'm working on this, uh, this golden age type, uh, pulp book or whatever. And so they gave me some, some ideas and stuff and, and yeah, there there was some really cool like you know old school sounding like like music that was like real fitting for Doc Unknown, but again it was just distracting. Like I don't I don't like my attention span is <laughs> is pretty bad. Like I can only only do like one thing at a time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know that feeling. I I would put on um, music like that for inspiration and the same thing. I did find it eventually distracting, but like I. I sort of needed it as like a transition to get into a mood and then um then I could turn it down really low or something or I'll you know if I have the TV on I'd like completely not pay attention to it. Yeah. <laughs> um because otherwise I would just sit sit there and, and watch TV. Um <laughs> 
But yeah, I'm, I, it's one of those things where I'm not a night person, and I know so many writers that write at night. And I don't, I have no idea how they do it. I'm like, <laughs> dude, my brain has turned off by then. I am <laughs> useless. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess it was just out of necessity. Like, I had to do it at night because that's really the only time I could. Like, in the morning, I'm taking care of my son. And um, even though recently I, I did write, like, I, um, Daka No. Number 4 was, like, like four pages longer than the rest of the series or, like, the rest of the issues. Right. And um, two of those pages I added on while Ryan was about to finish the book. And I, I think that was also a subconscious way of me not wanting for it to be over. <laughs> no, uh, I have these two pages I need to write, you know, but, um, and, uh, I had to get them to him, like, as soon as possible because he was already working on them. And so, working on the pages. And so, I, I just wrote them real quick with my son here hanging out in my office. And, you know, he was playing with all, like, my little toys and stuff. I have, like, little Star Wars and, uh, Batman toys laying around and stuff. And so, you know, he was busy with that. And I was actually able to go ahead and write those two pages uh, with him here. I just, I never actually tried to do, because, you know, uh, toddlers are so crazy. They're, like, getting into everything. But just going to start sticking everything into his <laughs> mouth that he can. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's past that stage. But, yeah, like, uh, I was, like, I've always been worried that I couldn't write when he was around. And so that's one of the reasons I would write at night when everybody's asleep. But I, I actually accomplished it that day. So I was like, oh, it's not so bad. And then my wife is, like, so great, like, she's very, you know, understanding of uh, the comic book thing, and so there are a lot of times over the weekend where she's like, you know, go write, you know, go go do whatever you gotta do, and, you know, she'll handle my son and everything, so it's it works out pretty good. That's great. It's good to have a good support system. Oh, yeah, she's the best, and then even, you know, just, like, yesterday I had, uh, or, like, this, this past week I thought of a new comic idea, and, uh, I've kind of just been, like, you know, forming all the ideas in my head and uh, writing some little notes and stuff, but I hadn't really talked to anybody about it. <clears throat> and so I was able to, you know, we went to lunch yesterday, and I kind of just, like, told her everything that I had thought of so far. And I think being able to talk about what 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 the talk about the ideas I have um, to someone else, and um, it, it helps, like, whenever I'm, like, because sometimes I'll say something, and as soon as I say it out loud, I'm like, wait, that's dumb. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's really good to, to have her there and, you know, for her to offer feedback. And I can kind of tell what's working and what's not working from, like, her face. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's funny. There's a couple friends of mine that I know through uh, the comics workshop that comics experience. And, um, you know, if I, I throw something ridiculous out there on Twitter and, you know, somebody will – reply to and be like and then what and then and why would he do that and what was it and it was suddenly it's like oh okay and it's and it's something is being fleshed out right there yeah before your eyes yeah <laughs> yeah it's pretty cool to yeah and i think that's another reason why i wanted to bring ryan on uh ryan Lindsay on as uh as a editor for the boss snake one shot because i figured it could only it would not hurt you know i figured it could only enhance whatever um I was writing, you know, uh, I see him talking about, and, that, and that's why I tapped him is because I see him talking a lot about, you know, breaking a story and, you know, trying to, you know, really sharpen, you know, the story, like, while you're working on it. And, and you know, up until this, up until recently, I just hadn't really given that much thought to that whole thing. <laughs> and, like, I know a lot of guys are probably 
would listen to that and be like, wow, he's not, he, he's, he's going with his first draft. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and so, you know, that's why I brought Ryan on, because I figured he could help out with like, you know, like point out stuff I hadn't thought of, or maybe let me know when something isn't as strong as maybe I thought. And so, and yeah, and he's totally, he's totally performing that function, <laughs> you know, to the T's. That's good. He's a great guy. Yeah, he's great. <laughs> uh, so where will people be able to find you and find information so that they can keep uh, keep up with the the new Kickstarter that will be launching and any of the new announcements about where you're going to be and all that stuff? What's, um, what's your website? Uh, well, I have, like, a Tumblr, you know, FabianRangelJr.tumblr.com. Uh, right. And then I also have, you know, I'm on Facebook and, and Twitter and stuff. But, like, Facebook and Twitter, like, that's where... I mean, because I don't, really, yeah, I don't really update uh, my blog all that often, but um, but yeah, if you're if you're on Facebook um, or Twitter, like it's a bit, that that'd be the best way because that's pretty much all I talk about. <laughs> yeah. like, I'm pretty sure there's a lot of people I went to high school with that either have deleted me or blocked me because <laughs> they're just tired of hearing about comic books. They're like, man, it's like all he talks about. I mean, I'll do I'll, I'll post pictures of my son every now and then too because he's really cute. So. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I think he should be uh, dressed up as Doc Unknown for Halloween. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> so, all right, Fabian, thanks so much for all your time and uh, you know fitting me into the. We had to juggle the time zones and everything, so thank you for for having it work out. Oh, thank you. It's really fun. And um, you guys, of course, you can find me at Elizabeth Amber on Twitter and amberunmasked dot com and Amber Unmasked on Facebook. Um, and don't forget that October 5th and 6th is our big two-day superhero weekend at Comic Fusion in Flemington, New Jersey. And this is where we have our charity art auction and lots of fun things to do in the store. We're going to have a lot of cosplayers. We're going to have uh, guests in the store like Jabal Eigel and Dwayne Sprzynski. Uh We're going to have musician Sarah Donner joining us. So uh, October 5th and 6th, and yes, you will be able to bid on things online. All you have to do is email the store with your highest bid. So you will, if you're following me, you will get plenty of updates about Superhero Weekend. And all of the proceeds will benefit Safe and Hunterin. So don't forget, follow me on Twitter at Elizabeth Amber. Thanks again, Fabian. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) 